Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by two members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hey. <laughs> Is that a weird one? <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little, a little bit. <laughs> And the heart and soul of our crew, Mr. Cicero Holmes. I have nothing smart to say. It's that kind of week, man. At least that's how <laughs> I've been feeling. I don't know about you, but um, this is going to be probably one of the more loose episodes, one of the looser episodes that we've probably done in a while, just because, um, you know, I think we were planning on doing a discussion about the end of season two of Lower Decks, but we wanted to push that off because. Uh, Zachy's in the middle of uh, move, which Rachel and I know from recent experience and Cicero certainly knows from experience is an all consuming endeavor. So right. we're going to hold off on our lower decks discussion for the next time we all get together uh, with a full panel for the first time in a while. But, um, but you know, before we do that, yeah. let's, let's go tangent cast for a second. Yeah, sure. Sure. I want So, uh, what what move what number move was it that you had when moves stopped being fun and exciting two for me <laughs> two yeah two all right yeah I, I would think what about you rachel um probably three yes because the first one was to college which was exciting. Right. And then the second yes. one was like two college, but an apartment, not a dorm, which was right. exciting. Yes. But then apartment yes. to apartment was like a pain in the butt. So yeah. And okay. yeah, ever since then it's been a pain. What about you? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably like the fourth one. Really? That because far? Yeah. Because, all the other, like the three previous moves were all like, I, I leveled up, right? So okay, they yeah. were, they were, <laughs> they were like, you know, there were better amenities or maybe I moved down and then there were lower amenities and then I moved up into better amenities again. And then, you know, by the fourth move, I had like, I had kind of plateaued in like, <laughs> I've got indoor plumbing and gas stoves and, you know. <laughs> Um, and and like double pane windows. So once I got there, it's like, oh crap, you know, uh, the place is gonna be better. But I got to take all this crap that I've accumulated <laughs> and move it to another place. Yeah. Uh, and then that becomes then that migrates into moving is a pain, but only because you now have to pay for movers. Yeah. Right? You find you get to a point where you're like, uh, I'm not moving anything. I <laughs> my my address is moving and I am moving to a new location, but but there are people that will be doing will be taking the crap from point <laughs> A to point B. So Yeah. I mean, well, so how many houses have you moved into? Just the one or, or a couple? Uh since I moved into this house. Just the one. Okay. This is my house. Was that enough yeah. of a level up for you to be okay with it? Or was it still in the pain in the ass kind of phase? Oh, no, no, no. So, well, yeah. So I guess, so two apartments ago, I was, or two two addresses ago, I was in some really terrible apartments and and they were a means to an end. And then we moved into some nicer apartments, but now we've moved into a house and we've got a house and we've got space. So I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. But but even moving from the the terrible apartments, I had movers. Sure. So it was just a matter of like, uh, we're, you know, the whole rigmarole of moving from a place to another place. That was that was that part of the 
of the stress, but not the physical labor part. So um, when, hired people when, when you moved away from New York and to yes. Illinois, yes. were things still exciting then because it was such a big move? Yeah, sure. It was, yeah, it was, you know, this is something new, like, you know, a place for reinvention. They know how to spell my name. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm psyched for, for correct pronunciations of Cicero. Uh, so yeah, that was exciting, but so what but is, I'm, I'm sorry, point, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what's the New York pronunciation? Oh, well, I mean the, the pronunciation of Cicero, but like <laughs> yeah, right. for, for people that don't realize that it's like it's a collection of letters that form an actual word <laughs> that people can pronounce. Um, it is cereal, Cyrano, oh, no. jelly roll, cereal. Uh, <laughs> let's see, sissy roll, sissy roll. I had a teacher in high school who, if she saw me today, would call me Cyrus. <laughs> that is <laughs> so. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's yeah. Uh, actually, and uh, you know what? Um, I was just on a podcast with someone um, about podcasts where we talked about, uh, we talked about discovery debris. Ah. Um, and, uh, and the other guest called me Circio, which was like, <laughs> taking the back of my name and then like it was like the word jumble of my which which was actually unique sure because i had not i had not you know i'm 40 i'm a 45 year old man i had never heard someone <laughs> call me Circio before novelty so points, that was pretty awesome yeah, yeah sure. that was yeah. yeah points for originality <laughs> Um, and then my partner just said that somebody else just messed up my name by saying, by calling me Circio also. <laughs> so maybe that's a Midwestern thing. Who knows? <laughs> it's the new thing. Can you call up Circio? Circio. Yeah, right. Circio. I'm going to go to Skokie. Does Circio need anything? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, well, um, uh, yes. When when we moved back over here a year ago, um, I think it's pretty fair to say it just wasn't it wasn't fun. No, there was nothing terrible. about it. That was, right. that was good. We were happy to to come back here because we're from here, but right. the actual mechanism the moving out of the apartment in particular that we had in Evanston was it was particularly rough because um, Rachel had to watch the baby. So she was indisposed. So, so just, just a recap for maybe some new listeners sure. that, that enjoyed discovery debrief and moving talk yeah, discovery yeah. debrief. But, but Chris and Rachel had a baby in May of 2020 and then decided to move in September of 2020 from the Chicagoland area to, uh, the greater Seattle, Washington area. Correct. Uh, um, there were a couple of things going on while that, like, again, you have a, a you know, four month old baby, right. And, mm -hmm. and moving sucks moving across halfway across the country, two time zones. That sucks. Yeah. But yeah. Moving with a baby also sucks. Um, and then during a pandemic with yeah. a cat, with, with two with, cats, two cats, yeah, two cats, right. On the plane so, with two cats and a baby. Yeah. Honestly, the cats were more difficult than the baby yeah, was the baby on the was plane. Really easy at four months. But when after the movers came and, and packed everything away, we still had a fair amount of stuff that we had to just get rid of in the kitchen. Right. Um, and since Rachel was busy, and since the apartment building that we lived in was constructed at the turn of the century, it didn't have an elevator, so we were on the top floor, which was the fourth floor. Nice. So uh, I shuttled, I don't even know how many loads of just crap into the dumpster so much so that I, I couldn't really feel my legs at the, at the end of it. And then when it was time to finally leave, we took a cab from the apartment to O'Hare because we were flying and we, wow. were, we, we stayed at the O'Hare Hilton because it's literally in the airport complex. Mm. And uh, I got out of the van 
and I fell down be- because like just my like, legs couldn't. Just, legs were, oh my god! It's gosh. not even that they like crumpled; oh they stiffened, they locked up. Oh, no. So it was like I was doing a Hindu push-up, you know, where you go right. like <laughs> your your ass is up in the air and your head goes right. down, and it was bad. I was oh. I was uh, rather concerned when I got out of that. <laughs> that, and then on top of that. And I walked into the lobby of the hotel. There was a guy in front of me in line waiting to check in who was just pitching a shit fit and not wearing a mask, which bothered the hell out of me because it was also, you know, still 2020. Right. Um, So that that was not an auspicious end to our time in Chicago. But I don't know if I've ever felt so much relief arriving at any hotel before (laughs) when when we walked into that room. So. That was an adventure. Well, um, you know what? It wasn't an auspicious end, but it was a memorable end. It was something that you will never forget. That's uh, for damn sure. Yeah. There you so, go. <laughs> try as I might. There you uh, go. Yeah. Well, anyway. I hope you've enjoyed moving debrief. Um, yes. But we, yeah, we, we've, we've got plenty of Star Trek stuff to talk about. So we were talking a little bit off mic and uh, apologies to people that we haven't covered as much news that has transpired in the franchise, but there has been a lot in addition to uh, star Trek day, uh, strange new worlds, both started and ended production on its first season, 10 episodes. I believe uh, they revealed more about the forthcoming animated series, star Trek prodigy um, little bits of information, but certainly nothing definitive have leaked out about the forthcoming section 31 show. A whole hell of a lot of rumors have been swirling around whatever the next Star Trek movie is going to end up being. Um, And all of this is just kind of exacerbated by the idea that for the first time in a long time, it seems like CBS actually cares about uh, cultivating this franchise. And there's a forthcoming convention in Chicago next year that uh, it looks like it's taking a, a, a... little bit of a cue from the star Wars celebration in the sense that it is an officially sanctioned event. Um, it's going to McCormick place, which was a venue where star Wars celebration was held. Rachel and I met Jason Isaacs. And, um, so the, the franchise has been kind of on the move in a way that I don't think it's been on at least since the nineties. If my perceptions are correct, certainly, we certainly never saw anything like this, even when the franchise was active in the two thousands, when there were next generation movies and, and enterprise on the air. Um, but, uh, Cicero, just in terms of volume, um, what do you make of how active the star Trek franchise is right now? Well, I mean, lots of things, right? I think the first is that, I. I'm excited for it. Selfishly, I'm excited for it because that means there is like all of this content to geek out about. Um, even the things that I haven't um, just absolutely adored uh, since the the revival of Star Trek with Star Trek Discovery, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and I don't know if there's things that, you know, maybe, maybe Picard, maybe I didn't absolutely love Picard. I don't know. Um, has it, so just kind of on yeah. that, do you think it has maybe, dim- you seemed like you liked it at the time. Yeah. So has it kind of just fallen a little bit? Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's because I haven't gone back and revisited it. Maybe, you know, um, uh, it hasn't stuck with me in the same way that discovery did. Um, but discovery was new, so it, it didn't have. Uh, expectations to to beat per se um where whereas Picard was a known commodity there were you know there were things that you may have wanted to see that you didn't see or what have you um and and, and but I think also um the first season of Picard was 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 really good it wasn't really great I think um if you know if I'm sitting back and I'm being objective about it now that I've had some time with it uh, but but at the same time, I would say that the second half of the first season of Discovery was really good, not really great um, until the very end. Right. And, they, you know, but like w- there were still valid concerns that we had 
with with that first season. So I think the second season of Picard will be fine. And and I think it, it will probably live with me longer and better uh, well, you, with, with more time. Weren't you also watching TNG concurrently or very close to yes. the time when yes. TNG was on the air? Yes. Did that change yes. the way that you approached absorbing Picard? No, because I was I was absorbing Picard actively when it when it was re- releasing, you know, partially for the show, partially for for debrief, but but the other part was because it was Picard and I wanted to see what was going on and you know, like wanted to know about the story and and uh see everything that was happening. Um yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I I don't think right? Like I don't want it to turn into like oh, Cicero doesn't like Picard. I very much like Picard. I I don't know that I love Picard. Um there were definitely parts of Picard that I loved. Uh there were definitely moments that really uh grabbed me. Um I don't know if Maybe you know again. Maybe it's because I haven't watched it in a long time that it that it's not sitting with me like that. But it's not sitting with me like that. So there, you know. So there's something to be said about that. Sure. Um. But but there are definitely there are definitely things that um I was less enthusiastic about before I got to watch it or consume it multiple times, and I learned to appreciate it better. Um, and that, you know, and that could be it. Uh, Picard could be Picard season one could be beats, right? <laughs> um, not the, not the ones on your ears, the ones you put in your mouth um, <laughs> or don't depending. Right, right, right. Depending. Right. So like, you know, when I first ate beets, I thought beets were, uh, I thought it was cranberry juice or cranberry sauce. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, cut into a thing and put it in my mouth thinking it was cranberry sauce and it was beets. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't like beets for a very, very long time. Sure. But now I love beets. I think beets are delicious. Um, I enjoy their their earthy um, mouthfeel. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, beets are great. But and and maybe uh, with, you know, uh, subsequent watches of Picard, Picard will also be great. But all that to be said, all that, all that crap that was said. Um, I think that Paramount is looking, Paramount and CBS are looking for their Disney, their Marvel, their uh, Star Wars. They're looking for their franchise that they can just dump a bunch of crap on and just stamp, you know, rubber stamp the, the Star Trek logo on top of and just try and create the money factory to print the money in the same way that Disney is with two of their properties. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, they're seeing what's, what's happening. They don't want to be the suckers on the, on the block that don't, you know, that don't have a fifth Lear jet. Yeah. So like, what can, what can, what can we do? What can we do? And they've got this property, Star Trek. So they're trying and, you know, and f- the good thing is it's not crap that's coming out. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's it the it all, the stuff that's coming out is thoughtful, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Well, Rachel, as someone who lived through, I feel like, and tell me if you don't think this is fair, but I feel like you came into your greater consciousness as a Star Trek fan probably about ten years ago. Yeah. Right? Would yeah. you say that that's yes, all right? that is true. So during that entire time, up until Discovery really started hit it, hitting its stride, and it became clear that at least from the studio's perspective, it was successful. Um, you've seen the franchise go from zero to a hundred. Um, do you feel similarly to Cicero in the sense that Star Trek is being seen as this potential big ticket IP? And how do you feel about the the way that it's been developing over the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that they want to build like a little franchise or big franchise, maybe that that's <laughs> that's very wide. I think also there's something about the economics of streaming that really benefits us Star Trek fans right now because I think for streaming, you don't 
you don't need a million, you know, you don't, or you don't need millions and millions of people to watch your stuff. You need them to subscribe to your streaming service. Mm-hmm. So you just have to make stuff that's worth subscribing for. And I think with Star Trek, they have this sort of built in very devoted fan base that they know that they can keep subscribed to that streaming service if they make sure that they kind of always have a reason to keep your subscription. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really the, uh, the motivation behind it. And I mean, I'm fine with it while it lasts. I just, I don't know. I kind of feel like there's a streaming, a little bit of a streaming bubble, not really a bubble in like an economic sense, but there's something where at some point it's not gonna, it's not going to pay off to dump, all of this money into streaming. Something's got right. Well, you're going to get to a point to the, of diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think from what I understand, like most streaming services at this point are not profitable and that their cost Mm. they cost their parent companies more in uh, production costs to generate content than they generate profits. Um, So it's the, it's the subscriptions. Right, that, I, where the, where they where they generate their money. Yeah, that's where they generate their money. But their idea is that like, oh, we have like a certain amount of subscription growth that like eventually like we're gonna break even or something. I don't know. Right. I remember watching a Disney right. presentation about their streaming strategy, and they were like, it will be profitable by twenty twenty three at this rate, and they were like very happy with that. That's, that's that's pretty good because Disney Plus is is what four years old yeah is it that old no, no three no, no, years no, old three maybe. i think yeah i don't know three years, ten old. years old. almost I don't know. I've had it almost <laughs> <laughs> almost almost three years old almost three years exactly november of 2018 i think yeah yeah so um but yeah yeah no oh november 2019 2019 yeah. so it's only two years old time is and uh, it's it's all yeah yeah well, they certainly got in under the wire on that i'll say that much uh, yeah. but um yeah. in terms of uh the subjective components because you have a, a great affinity for the berman era in general yeah. um how do quality wise how do you think everything's comparing it seems like you've enjoyed the shows for the most part although um maybe not quite as passionate about some of the newer offerings yeah i mean i don't know they're they're very flashy and very pretty always right but sometimes yeah i think that they're just not sticking in my brain for very long. Is that does that uniformly apply to all of it or just a couple of the shows? Um, I would say particularly Discovery season three and Picard okay. have not stuck in my head very well. So the stuff that you mm-hmm. that has come out since we've had a child. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and i mean this has been an ongoing issue is that like my like just interest and ability and capacity for being enthusiastic about tv (laughs) is just like very much diminished Um, it's almost like your free time yeah has disappeared it hasn't disappeared but it is very small and i really want to maximize it with with so as much as i can um but yeah like it yeah, so that hasn't stuck in my brain as well, but caveat, everything doesn't stick in my brain as well as it used to. Um, <laughs> but uh, I like Lower Decks a lot, Yeah, of course. Um, and I'm really excited for Strange New Worlds mm-hmm. uh, because I really liked, you know, all of those characters and I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, you might Chris say is holding the Enterprise. It's a uh, the. Is that the A? Is, no, this is this is no. This is the Discovery the, version of the original Enterprise. Uh, yes. Okay. So, there we go. Yeah, I I made sure to specifically try and find. I like. I really like this redesign of the ship. Um, yeah. Yes, I am looking forward to Strange New Worlds as well. Uh, very, very, very much so. 
So much so, in fact, that I'm a little concerned about how much I'm looking forward to it. Um, but considering, and I've talked a lot about this on the show in the past, but considering how little Star Trek there had been between 2005 and 2017, placing the Kelvin timeline films aside for a moment, because they were relatively big deals, although each one was lesser than the one that came before in terms of public excitement, it seems. Um, I, I, I'm very pleased that Star Trek is a major focus of its, uh, of its owners again. Hasn't been that way for a long time. I griped about that, especially when Discovery was in its first season. And it's like, why aren't you guys promoting Star Trek? And that's not really a complaint that I have anymore. That being said, um, you know, the first season of Picard, it hasn't stuck with me as much as I'd wanted it to either, except for a couple of specific instances, um, right. particularly as it relates to data and giving the audience a chance to say goodbye to him. That was something that I took a lot of value in. And it still kind of rubs me the wrong way that they just killed Echeb as brutally as they did. But um, all that stuff aside, if there's any hope that I have, look, and granted, you know, if Alex Kurtzman and his work ethic and his ideas are the thing that is keeping Star Trek on this regular path forward where there's always new stuff in development, then that's great. Although I think the franchise would be stronger if it followed a little bit more of the Berman, because for all intents and purposes, Alex Kurtzman is the new Rick Berman. Mm -hmm. However, each of the shows also had their own showrunners. There's a reason why Voyager felt very distinct from DS9 because DS9 had Iris Stephen Bear. And I don't feel like there is a commensurate creative showrunner or force that is driving some of the other shows, except for probably Mike McMahon on Lower Decks. And I think that's one right. of the reasons why that show has felt as distinctive as it has in addition to just being a different kind of series. But, um, you know, I think there's room for other creative uh, personalities and, um, and perspectives when it comes to this world. And Mike McMahon is proof of that. Um, but I, I, I yeah, I, th I think you're right, Chris, but I think they're uh, hesitant to do that. I think that they want, I think what we got was, Mike with Mike McMahon, uh, the genre was completely different, right? Like everything about Lower Decks is is unique and distinct from from what what our live action offerings of Star Trek are right now. Um, well, from any Star Trek, really, but but uh, the fact that it's animated, um, you know, the first time that Star Trek has been animated in in fifty years. And then the second part is we're doing a 30 minute sitcom. Right. And, and so like you couldn't get Kurtzman on that because his brain is, is dramatic Star Trek right now. So you can't do comedic Star Trek with the same, with the same brain. And I think the other thing that they're thinking about is, is that like right now we want to have, we want to have many different uh, separate IP under this franchise, but there there has to be connective tissue between them all. Like we want them to be kind of distinct, but we want them to all feel similar-ish enough that we don't alienate the fans that we've gained over the course of this time with these shows. Mm -hmm. Star Trek cinematic universe, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was but, yeah, but like but, television. Yeah. Yeah. It was doing that before it was cool, as we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, but before. I think the vision is probably sure. much more influenced by the MCU. And, and and I don't mean to dismiss the creative contributions, uh, particularly of Michelle Paradise, who's the showrunner on Discovery now. Um, really, when she came aboard, I feel like the show took uh, a, a kind of a U-turn into developing more of its own identity when the time yeah. jump happened in particular. Um, and then, you know, Akiva Goldsman, I think, holds a relatively similar place in terms of the production team of Strange New Worlds. He makes me a little nervous, frankly, um, just because 
you know, he, he wrote Batman and Robin, but, uh, <laughs> but he also wrote a beautiful mind. Batman and Robin exactly. is a there fine movie. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that a, is that a serious take right there? She likes that movie. No, I she think does. That movie oh. is exactly what it is trying to be. So if you're oh, going to no, judge you, a movie, you, that on, is, yeah, that is true. Like that is they true. Were successful in what they tried to do. You might not that like is true. what they, they were trying they, to do. They but, executed yeah. their vision. Yes. She, she, they, 100%. She's ludicrously entertained. Anytime I have an episode of the 60s show on. So the, the fact, I mean, she also, you like, we're getting into Batman debrief now, but (laughs) you probably, in terms of like more traditional takes, you like the animated series. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but in terms of just something that is different, you like the 60s show and you like Batman and Robin. Um, So brave and the bold as well. I haven't watched Brave and the Bold. You've watched it a little bit. A little bit, but not like seriously. Um, um, John DiMaggio's Aquaman, still all-timer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, if yeah. you were like, which of which Batman movie of the 90s Batmans slash 89, like, do you, right. would you like to sit down and watch right now? It would be Batman and Robin. <laughs> like, really? When, wow. we, when we went on the Warner Brothers studio tour. They have a fair amount of stuff from Batman and Robin on display right. in the Batman section. That's Clooney, right? Yeah. And uh, like they had the Redbird motorcycle that Chris O'Donnell oh, drove wow. around in. They wow. have the Bat Hammer, which is like the giant mm-hmm. ski thing that Batman drove at the end of the movie. Um, they had one of Poison Ivy's knives and just like little props strewn about. That was when she was most engaged in the Batman room. Here I am bowing before the tumbler in the 89 Batmobile. And, right. and she's, she's looking at, at Poison Ivy paraphernalia. And, uh, that was, that that's was, not how I remember that, but okay. <laughs> all right. Well, Cicero, Cicero's Batman and Robin hot take is I loved Clooney's Batman. I loved Clooney as Batman. Like, yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. See, I liked his Bruce Wayne, but not necessarily his I Batman. I think I liked Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne and and Clooney's Batman, I think. See, Kilmer, I just think, is generally underrated. He's like Timothy Dalton as Bond to me. Hmm. You know, mm. but anyway, we're, this this right, right. You right. know me. I could. We did it. We I could talk. <laughs> I could talk a long time about Batman. In fact, we I did have. it. So, but anyway, so in general, just like the direction of the Star Trek franchise, I generally find encouraging. And again, I don't mean to diminish the contributions of Michelle Paradise or Akiva Goldsman. Uh, although you know, Strange New Worlds is still a little bit of an outlier, just because we haven't seen any of it yet. But right. I, I mean, that's the show that I'm most excited to see, you know, as we talked about when season two of Discovery ended, I was a little dismayed by the fact that the the show was moving away from the 23rd century. Um, but people were correct in pointing out, hey, let's go into an all new place in, in the in the timeline for the prime universe. Right. And now we get both, you know, so I have absolutely nothing to complain about. We're getting strange new worlds on the enterprise, no less. Like I was just hoping to have a show in that part of the the timeline, and we're actually getting one on board the enterprise. Uh, seeing the adventures of a captain, I've literally wanted to see more of since I was like seven years old, just reading the Star Trek encyclopedia all the time. And uh, we're we're getting that and a whole new perspective in the far flung future. So that's yeah, that's pretty cool. But um. Speaking of strange new worlds, there was something I, I wanted to bring up, especially in terms of a news item. So Anson Mount, who plays Captain Pike, of course, on on Strange New Worlds, uh, he he made a statement. He made a, a tweet recently where he said, "Old school fans are going to be very excited to see what we're trying to pull off with this one." And he gave an interview recently because actually the day that we're recording this an animated movie came out we're, we're going into Batman debrief again, an animated right. <laughs> movie came out where Anson Mount plays Batman called injustice based off of the video game series. And uh, so I actually picked up a, a Blu-ray of it today. So I'm interested to see how Mr. Mount plays Batman, but he says uh, in an interview for that with sci-fi, he said, I think that tweet was a little misinterpreted. I was talking about episode 10 specifically, 
but I do think the spirit of our show is in its title. We're going back to the big idea of the week, the new planet of the week. I think that in itself is going to be exciting for old school fans as well as new ones. So uh, something in the season finale of Strange New Worlds is going to be exciting for old school fans. And that's, again, the, the episodic structure of you know an episode of the week that self-contained was brought up. And Rachel, last time we talked about Strange New Worlds, you sounded unconvinced that they were actually going to go in that direction. But on Star Trek Day, and now with some of the stuff that Anson Mount is saying, they are sticking to the message that these are self-contained episodes. How do you feel? Uh, it's funny because I don't remember expressing that before, but I was sitting here thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that they think that it's episodic, but uh, we'll see. Because <laughs> I don't think they can stop themselves. Now, is this a defense mechanism? Are you trying to keep yourself from being disappointed if for some reason they don't stick to that structure? Is that what's going on? I am trying to keep my expectations realistic. That, like, You don't I, think it's realistic that... They decided that they're going to try and evoke TV shows of old in the way that it's structured. You think that they are just categorically incapable. I think they're going to try and evoke it. I think they're going to try to make it somewhat episodic, but I still think there's going to be like an overarching plot of the, of the season. So you don't think that, that you don't think they can do both though. Like when you say when you say it's not going to be episodic, you mean they're not going to be able to just tell 10 self-contained stories. You think yeah. they're not going to be able to do that. Okay, I don't think it's going to be a situation where if I just watch episode 9 without having seen episodes 1 through 8 that I'm going to completely know what's going on. And is so at what point if if you can't do that is their mission automatically failed no (laughs) but like certain like i'll probably still enjoy it and adding more episodic things i'm like more episodic elements to it i will enjoy that but do i believe that they're gonna make an entire season that you could shuffle around and watch in any order absolutely not (laughs) like (laughs) all right we'll we'll see time will tell cicero what's your take (laughs) Um, well, I, th- I think Rachel's on to something, right? You're not quite um, ready to push the Rachel is right button. But. Yeah, right. But no, no, no. She's so she's onto something where, where like, I don't know if they know, like if people know how to make monster of the week, alien of the week TV anymore, right? By itself. Like, that's it. Uh, I think what we're going to get is more like the flash, right? Like CW Arrowverse shows where there is the, the villain of the week, but there is a, there is a, there's an overarching, there's a story arc that follows through the entire season. Kind of like what we got with discovery Um, a couple of times, you know, where there's, there's some, MacGuffin, you know, it's the trek for the MacGuffin throughout the entire season, but every episode, uh, you move further down, you know, you move further down that road, um, and you move your pieces down the board on that one, but every episode is, is kind of self-contained in the rest, the rest of the, the rest of the stories. And you kind of reset back to one, Mm -hmm. but you've moved, you've moved your, your piece further down the MacGuffin board every episode. So if I, if I just tuned into episode seven and I knew who the crew was, uh, I would be able to follow most of the story, but then there's going to be 10 or 12 minutes of things that are being talked about that. I just don't understand. So I, I mean, I think that's, that's something that, that will probably happen. If, if you, stubbornly want to be the person who's like, I want to watch strange new worlds out of order. 
I don't care about any of that crap. I'm just going to, you know, you know, roulette my way through, uh, through the episodes of the series. Um, that person will be only two thirds confused or maybe 25% confused. So we're not Uh, really going to know whether or not they stick to what they're saying until like three or four episodes in, because it'll be very easy for the first one to be pretty self-contained. Sure. So it might be, yeah, it might be hard to tell at least at the outset. Uh, I mean, it was, I think it was easy. It was easy to know that discovery was, different pretty early on sure yeah right mm-hmm. so eh, maybe you know yeah we'll see i mean i you, you guys are making me feel like i'm being overly optimistic and it doesn't even seem like i had unrealistic expectations for what the structure of the show is gonna be i'm still gonna enjoy it if it's worth enjoying yeah but you're gonna look at me like when we're watching the fourth or fifth episode and you're gonna be like see you could tell <laughs> what that was if you didn't watch the other ones. And be like, fine. And then we'll move on with our we'll lives. With right. Our and lives. then we'll move yeah. on. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but like outside of, you know, I mean, for those people, uh, here's, here's the, the weekly uh, sister of rants about the, not my track people. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the you know the not my trekkers that are talking about this particular thing are are waxing nostalgic about TOS only and they but they lump in everything else sure as if this is this is true maybe maybe voyager at times but not even voyager like voyager would just reset the to zero then reset to one but like in the middle of a story arc, it could be part two and they'd reset to one at the beginning of the second part. But like TOS is the, was the only show where there was no continuity between one episode and the next. By the time they got to TNG in this, you know, in the second season, there was a, there was a quest for a MacGuffin every single season, Mm -hmm. every single season. There was something that that they were talking about, thinking about, uh, working towards, uh, ultimately, or you know, they they had been banding about throughout the course of of the season. In TNG, um, really? Yeah, yeah. There were. I don't think uh, so. So, all right. Yeah, the I've Borg, got Borg, maybe, but yeah. I mean the Borg, yeah. By like season five, season six, there was the Borg. Um, there was you had to know at least a little bit about Q's prior excursions aboard the Enterprise whenever he would show up, because it was usually based right. on something that he did in the past. Um. Yeah. That, well. So and and. To to both of your points, and Chris, thank you for trying to bail me out. Um, the the I think what I'm also kind of alluding to is the fact that like there were there's character development that's being done yes. over the course of the episodes that um, there are insights that you glean about these characters. There are assumptions that the writers make about the characters that they assume the viewer knows. Um, and they have developed shorthand with those characters so that you can't just jump in and, you know, and inherently understand those. In other words, like the inter episode walls between episodes of TOS were much sturdier and stronger than the inter episode walls seen in TNG. Is that fair? Yes. But I mean, they still like, they still use the captain's log narrative device to make sure that if you were watching it out of order you would know exactly right. whatever you need to know so right where does the orville fall in this because the orville if it tried to mimic anything it tried to mimic tng rather yes. successfully yes. i would think yes so if strange new worlds reaches at least the orville kind of threshold 
in terms of like an episodic kind of structure. Cause there were, there was only what, like one two parter in the, in the, in the run of the first two seasons of the Orville. Yes. Yes. Is, would that satisfy you? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm just asking. I'm not, <laughs> what, are you, what are you laughing about? <laughs> You're looking at me like it. I'm so difficult. Would to that say. satisfy you, Rachel? You woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> bitch, bitch, bitch. Oh, no, no. Oh, <laughs> ball and chain. What's <laughs> her episodic TV? <laughs> all, all I'm saying is that, uh, the structure of the Orville, it seems like that show did what they're describing for Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I would say that's a weird exception. <laughs> but Well, I mean, it was it, it had the latitude because yeah. it wasn't really connected to anything else and and Seth MacFarlane, frankly, has the latitude at that network to do what he wants to do. But right. Cicero, as a, as a big Orville fan, um, the idea of Star Trek, like leaning into something that isn't but was inspired by Star Trek, again, it's a kind of a weird meta structure between everything. But if Strange New Worlds kind of leans into that Orville like structure, that TNG like structure, is that going to be a, a good development in your in your mind? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, I'll take it to hip hop, right? So, like. There, there, um, there was a dude named MC Shan, and he got mad at LL Cool J because he said that LL Cool J stole his swag. He stole his whole steez. And then uh, LL went out, and he was doing his work, and he got mad at somebody else for stealing his whole steez. So, like, it's, it's all relative. It's all right. You can come back. Like, and especially if you bring it back to where it belongs, then it's, you know, it doesn't matter. You stole my swag. You still, you know, someone stole the swag from you and it went back to my homeboy. You know, it's my homeboy. He stole it. So it's all good. I don't need it anyway. I don't need that swag anymore. The fact that you explain that in a way that I could understand is, (laughs) is really because I am, I'm the whitest person, you know, (laughs) probably. So thank you. For explain, really, the only thing I know about LL Cool J is that, like, before interviews, he always licks his lips. That's about there you go. That's about the mm-hmm. extent of everything I know yeah. about LL Cool J. But Lady, that ladies love Cool James. Yeah, that makes sense, though, right? Like the substance, yeah. uh, even if it might be inspired by something, um, could be kind of reclaimed by the original franchise. And yeah, sure, why not? That is itself also evocative of. The original series, at least in con- it's a very mm-hmm. strange web that this is weaving, but uh, but a cool one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was just watching um, Blake NBA star Blake Griffin has a prank show on True TV called Double Cross, where someone contacts him to do a prank on their family member or friend, but then Blake Griffin goes out and contacts the friend, the victim, (laughs) and they decide they come up with a double cross (laughs) to double cross the, the original person. So I was watching that show and it ended. And then the next show that was suggested was Chris Weber's prank show, who is also another NBA forward who had a prank show. (laughs) (laughs) Valid post NBA career. Prank show. All right. So, yeah. So, Hey, look, you know, there is space for all of that stuff. Pay homage to, uh, things that came before you, um, was that, uh, flattery or is, uh, you know, uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. There you go. All of that jazz. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, um, we're kind of running up against the clock, so I'd like to uh, to have a, a brief conversation with you guys because we haven't really had one on this show about mm-hmm. a whole other show that's coming, namely Star Trek Prodigy. Um, it is an animated series that is aimed toward a younger audience. Um, it is it, the characters at play seem to be pretty young outside of uh, one hologram of a, of a character that we've definitely seen before 
in the form of Captain Catherine Janeway. But, um, you know, they released a couple of trailers for Prodigy, and um, it seems like it's a show that is very much doing its own thing. Um, it has kind of a, at least based on the trailers, it seems like it has kind of a looser general association with the wider franchise, but it still takes place in a world that is fantastical, which allows these young characters to, to go off and do uh, some crazy adventures aboard a starship that they find. Um, Rachel, one of the things that you told me when we watched the, the big feature trailer for Prodigy is that it felt very, and, and Cicero, you'll probably appreciate this. It felt very much like Star Wars Rebels, um, which is a really good animated show, I think. But um, you also followed that up quickly by saying that I don't think I'm the intended audience for this. <laughs> uh, how Too do you dang old, Chris? <laughs> are you looking forward to seeing what it? does what are your general thoughts on prodigy as we get a little closer to it coming i'm just not that interested to be honest i like i it reminds me of star wars rebels which i lost interest in pretty quick um after vader you seemed like you kind of checked out of it yeah and i don't i really honestly don't know what it was like i think you like ahsoka yeah i mean i think it's all fine it's just i just i don't know like something about the like ya kind of animated genre just doesn't grab me that much Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i'm not super excited for this um but you know i'm willing to be proven wrong how do you think it looks just from a aesthetic looks very well made and very like cool (laughs) Like it, it looks like it's it would you know be able to grab kids who are you know used to their flashy smartphones and stuff. <laughs> flashy smartphones, yeah. The Instagrams and the TikToks, right? Sure, right. And the TikToks, <laughs> Cicero. Uh, I don't think I've really engaged you in a conversation about Prodigy very much. Uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, I, I think Rachel is right. Hashtag Rachel was right. <laughs> Rachel is right. Um, th- like everything she said about it is correct. But what will happen is I will watch it because it like Rebels is Star Trek content. It is YA. Um, and I I kind of feel like, you know, I'm look. I still sit down and watch cartoons and eat cereal <laughs> when, you know, whenever I get the chance. Um, so like, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I wind up watching a Star Trek show and eat cereal to the Star Trek show. Um, but like the thing that's confusing about this show to me is what Rachel is saying, because what Rachel is saying is correct. Like, she's not the audience for this, but like the kids aren't the audience for this either <laughs> because they're not Star Trek. Like they don't know Star Trek. They never had a way they, in. Like, right. Like if, but they're not looking for a way into Star Trek. Sure. Right. So I think it's so trying to like, really you're supposed to be like, Hey kid, you're going to watch this because I know who Janeway watch. is and I like her. <laughs> right, watch this right. and you like right. it and hopefully they will. So basically what, what they're doing, what Prodigy is going to be is a breeding ground for Star Trek bronies. Like <laughs> oh, that's, wow. that's, that's what it's going to be. Cause if it's, if it's any good, the people that are going to be watching it are, are going to be you and me. You and me and the not my Trek guys, people that love Voyager, you know, like those are going to be the people. It's not going to be anybody that's age appropriate. Yeah. I'm I'm looking up real fast because I don't know off the top of my head and I really should, but I am under the impression that Prodigy is all in addition to being on Paramount Plus is also supposed to be on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Yeah. It's def- well, uh, it says the original network is Paramount Plus, so maybe it's not even. Oh wait, okay. Star Trek Prodigy is set to premiere on October 28th, which is 
nine days from now, my God. Yes. Uh, with the first 10 episode season, it will then air on Nickelodeon before the second season is released on Paramount Plus. Right. So it's be it's, it's almost like it's being tried out on the hardcore Trek fans first before it might catch uh, the Nickelodeon audience. But I mean, honestly, it's been so long since I watched Nickelodeon on a regular basis was, back in its heyday that I don't even know, like outside of the stuff that we, which is Blue's Clues, by the way, that's what we right. watch based on Nickelodeon. Uh, I don't know what its standing is anymore. So uh, I was just about to say, like, first off, kids don't watch TV. One, like, sure. let's let's get let's get that out of way. Kids watch apps, right? Like, so YouTube videos. They watch YouTube. They watch Twitch. They watch apps. They watch shows. So, like the you know, so it airing on Nickelodeon means you know, like it's like airing something on MTV, right? <laughs> like. Who cares? Which is also it's, owned by Paramount. <laughs> which is also owned by Paramount, right? But like, uh, and, and coincidentally, I've seen more shows. I've seen more shows produced by MTV since the Paramount Plus crossover than I've seen in like the last fifteen, twenty years. I just, you know, I watched the Real World reunion. You know, right, yeah. like what? And Beavis uh, and Butthead so, is coming back. I right, think, right, exactly. Like that. I mean. That's the that's where they're going. That's where their audience is going to be. Nobody watches TV like that anymore, and the kids definitely don't. So, who is this for? It is for fifty-year-old men who love Star Trek and also love cartoons and breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> That's old, man. I I don't disagree with anything that you guys are saying, but I feel like they they see something in this equation that is indicating to them that this is some kind of audience they can exploit. This is – I feel like that ultimately the decisions for these types of things – are still being made by people that inherently still don't understand the modern the marketplace. Yeah. That's yeah, and that's also possible. I right? I mean the presence even though it's not actually her, the presence of of Janeway and certainly the presence of Kate Mulgrew is going to get the the longtime Star Trek fans at least in the door, right? Because we haven't right. seen Janeway right. since 2002. Uh right. or 2004 if you went to Star Trek the Experience. Uh, which I have very fond memories of, but um, I don't know. It, it seems to me like, let, let me put it, and I'm going to go back to Batman, right? Even though mm-hmm. I, I think that Warner brothers in general has a better command of the young audience, but nothing like Disney does, but still right. better than Paramount does in terms of getting, sure. Uh, younger oriented programming in front of younger audiences. Um, I would much prefer that in addition to your dark nights and uh, you know, we just got the trailer, the next trailer for the Batman uh, hard edged takes on that character. Uh, Very, very uh, inspired very much by darker elements of the source material. It would be a very sad state of affairs if there was not also those animated series for kids that are appropriate for all ages and that can allow uh, younger people to engage with those characters that they were frankly initially designed for in the first place. Um, And I'm saying this with a giant Batman statue and a Captain America and a Spider-Man on this desk that I'm talking from right now. Uh, But you can't deny where they come from. Um, so just in general on principle, I like that they're at least trying to make something for a Star Trek audience that has frankly never been tried in this franchise before. Really? I mean, even the original series was very, it was very topical in the way that it approached its, uh, its episodic structure and certainly its narrative goals. 
the animated series was more aimed toward kids, but probably not young kids. And it still had a lot of similar aims to TOS in terms of what the writing did. Um, and then you have what the movies, what Wrath of Khan was aimed for kids. No, I don't think so. Uh, TNG, especially in that first season episode where they phasered the giant monster and it exploded all over the place. Yeah. It's not really a kid's moment. Uh, or, you know, Dr. Crusher and, and counselor Troy in their, in their, their jazzercise equipment, you know, Workout. yeah. And their yeah. Work- That's how my mom used to work. Right. Where like that was her outfit yes. for working out. Sure. So yeah. I'd seen it before. Yeah. That was normal. <laughs> but but um really the Star Trek franchise has not had something that is squarely aimed at kids, maybe ever. So I like that this is a swing they're taking. Whether or not that swing will land and if it's just gonna pull in the audience that you guys are describing, that remains to be seen. I certainly think you guys have a point. Since there has never been an audience for Star Trek like this, why would there even be a door to try and bust open, right? Right. But um, in general, I guess I would much prefer that this exist as opposed to not existing. If that makes sure, sure. I think I think it exists, but but to the audience, to like courting, like let's say this is built for the age appropriate audience, right? It's a gateway into Star Trek. And then what? What do they watch after (laughs) Prodigy? Well, first contact, Cicero. (laughs) The Dominion War, obviously. (laughs) What is step two? This is underpants gnome strategy. I'm telling you, they're not thinking about this. Not even really lower decks, right? Especially with that holiday scene that we saw. Right. Once they get to the Clippy episode, it's done. (laughs) I feel like wasn't like the badgy so like i feel like two years ago i would have been like no no cicero like they have more data than us they must know but honestly (laughs) something the pandemic has taught me about uh entertainment companies is they don't know what they're doing at all (laughs) no they're just like oh day and day just put it on streaming i don't know like it'll be fine (laughs) um so yeah, I no, I think I agree with you. I think I'm not sure what their plan here is. Well, if anything, yeah. you guys have just increased my anticipation for not only how the show itself is going to be, but how it's going to land. It's going to be really interesting to see what the benchmarks for success are in terms of Prodigy and uh, whether the show is good or not. I mean, I, I certainly hope that it is uh, because honestly – like I haven't even talked about my subjective expectations are for it. I don't really have any uh, mm-hmm. because it, it was very easy to see as clearly as it was to Rachel and to you, Cicero, that I'm not the target audience and that's okay. You know, I, I'm, I don't resent the show for not aiming at a 34 year old white guy. Oh no, the world's coming. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's I, I, like, again, I welcome that, but um that just means to me that maybe it'll have a chance to exceed those very low expectations. But at the end of the day too, like what does success look like for prodigy outside of more episodes being made? And is it going to cultivate an audience of younger fans? It would be nice. um, But yeah, it's really hard to tell really hard to tell. I mean, unless here's what, here's what we could do. Here's what can happen. If they make this a a success, it goes four seasons. Mm -hmm. Paramount buys the rights to the Reading Rainbow franchise. And then they they bring in like Jordy somewhere in the Prodigy. And then you say, oh, you send them the Reading Rainbow. By the time they're done with Reading Rainbow, they'll be ready for TNG. And now they're now they're in into Trek. I solved it for yeah, you guys. You got to hire Cicero. He just built a whole roadmap for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that was, that was really interesting, you guys. Um, I will be fascinated to see how the franchise develops into the future because we are certainly in interesting times. Maybe the most active that Star Trek has ever been. So uh, you know, we'll have to see 
what happens in the in the near future, but at least that future is looking bright for once. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Excellent. Well, we're probably going to have to cut it off there. But like I said at the top of the show, the next time that we plan on getting together, at least as of right now, we're going to talk about the second season of Lower Decks in its entirety. Uh, and uh, hopefully Zachy will be able to give you his perspective on that show. Um, but either way, I mean, it should be fun to talk about in general just because maybe a little spoiler alert, that season was a blast. Like we've already talked about it a little bit already, but, um, that was a lot of fun. The season's over. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why I said, wow, that was a hell of a cliffhanger at the end of the last one. Yeah. Hell of a cliffhanger. But I thought it was like a cliffhanger for a week. No. (laughs) Uh, no, no, longer than that for several, for several weeks. Yeah, several weeks. Yeah, we'll see. But it will be back. You know, yeah. Boimler will return. <laughs> so at least we have that to look forward to. But as of right now, uh, that's going to do it for episode number sixty-two of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were to review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss a whole season of adventures from the final frontier. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. <laughs>